Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. Today I have the distinguished honor of interviewing Cheryl Watkins. I met Cheryl Watkins when she was a school principal and we uh, were part of the Catalyst Board. And from that very moment, every single interaction I had with Dr. Watkins has been stellar. She is the kindest, smartest, she's just a great advisor. From there, she became so many more things up to achieve, and now she's a consultant, she's a college professor, she's into emotional intelligence, equity, just the person I feel that everybody needs to know and learn from. Cheryl Watkins, who are you? Well, thank you for that introduction. Let me just tell you, uh, it, it's, it's just spinning around in my head. Um, that you would remember that we sat on that board together, um, giving advice to people who I'm not so sure they were listening as intently as uh, we were, but uh, that was such a phenomenal time. Listen, the question is simple. Who am I? I have to tell you all, I am definitely one of four of Henry and Jean's girls. My mother and father are my everything. And so that's who I am. I am the one who was educated right here in the great city of Chicago from kindergarten through beyond college. I am the one who absolutely loves life. I am a lover of music, of the word spoken and written, of people, of God. That's who I am. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Cheryl. You know, so for the listeners, uh, can you walk us through your professional trajectory up to this point? Absolutely. Um, my trajectory, I think, is like most people. We fell in love with teaching um, and decided, yeah, let me go ahead and become an educator. Um, but here's what's different for me. When I was a little girl on rainy days, on our back porch, the back porch of our apartment building, I would play school and my friends would allow me to play school. So I would collect all the papers from my teachers. And so I'm a little bit older than probably most people would think, but it was the, those were the papers that came off the mimeograph machine, the ones that went like this. And then when they came off, you would pick it up and you would put it to your nose and you'd smell it and go, Mm, those papers, if some of them weren't good enough to give out to students, they would put them in a pile and my teachers would save them for me. And so I would bring those home and my mother would fuss at me and say, get all that junk out of here. And I'd say, okay, we're going to play school. It's going to rain. I know. And so it would rain and I would gather all that stuff and go out to my back porch and I would play school. And so it was there that I began loving school. I thought I was going to be at one point a nurse. I thought I was going to be a court stenographer. I took dictation at a very rapid rate and I typed really quickly, but it was teaching that was deposited in me at an early age and that never left me. I can recall right now my mother sitting on her bed and me sitting next to her and us talking about my math homework or about school. 
my dad would look and say, yeah, get your help from your mother, get your help from your mother. And so I think it was deposited early. So I became a teacher at a very early age. I then um, worked and had the title of paraprofessional. A lot of people don't know this. I worked in a facility for children who had significant disabilities and their parents could bring them to the facility for three weeks at a time. And I worked there. That's where I developed my love for children with autism. Once I started working with Chicago Public Schools, as a teacher of children with autism, I just couldn't stop, of course. So I've been a teacher. I've been a teacher facilitator where I provided professional development to teachers, to principals, to parents um, at the central office level. Uh, became an administrator there. Was also um, an assistant principal. A principal. I started my own school, uh, Pershing West Middle School. I then became uh, an ISL, an instructional support leader, and then became deputy chief and finally promoted to chief of schools, um, which is the profession I retired from, the position I retired from. Yeah. So a lot. That's my trajectory. Wow. Uh, you know, that is, a, you know, and you make it sound like it was just a few years, but this is a whole... Um, a uh, whole uh, long term. So, like in Back to the Future, if you could go back to any of the positions you have held, what would you tell yourself on that first day? Um, uh, so, I thought about this, right? And I, I thought about it prior to this. Like, what would I say to myself? People always ask those questions like, what would you say to your younger self? And because my career was you know, pretty successful, you know, one would think I'd have nothing to go back and say, I'd change this, but it's not true. Um, there are two things. And uh, I want you to know that these are two things that other people have also shared with me. Um, and one of them is procrastination. So procrastination is the thief of everything good, right, and perfect in this world. Um, when we hesitate, when we try too much, when we think too much, when we want to make it perfect, we can't move forward if we don't do this or if we don't do that. Um, we find ourselves mired down in mess. So I would tell myself, don't procrastinate. It's going to be okay. What you're offering is going to be fine. Don't keep putting off what needs to be done, um, waiting for you know, nirvana, for peace, for just keep moving. I and know. the second thing is um, really give yourself some grace. So again, because I'm, I mean, I, I have to tell you, uh, former Mayor Daly said he's never satisfied. That's me. I was never satisfied. I wanted to make this better. I wanted to make this perfect. I wanted to make it right. And so along with that procrastination, then, you know, I start saying, well, I could have done it better. I could have done this. I could have said that I could have. And then I don't grant myself the grace that's needed. And so that grace to say, I am enough. This is okay. This is enough. What you're doing works out. This is best. Um, and, you know, just giving myself grace to make a mistake and to not be that perfect person that I've always strived to be, that person who always wants to be satisfied, but who isn't satisfied. 
um, just giving myself grace in those moments. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it took me forever to learn that lesson and I will go home suffering in my own bath of, uh, and, and I feel that I probably learned that from you, uh, having grace of what we do and, um, that encompasses so many things. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that wisdom. So talking about wisdom, uh, this is a podcast about your wisdom. So, um, What do you, who do you learn from, what you're into? Tell us about that uh, intellectual wisdom part of you. You know what? Um, this is going to sound a little funny, a little strange, but I am a people watcher. So I watch people. I watch mannerisms. I watch what you say, how you say it, when you say it, why you say it. I like to study people. Now, I'm going to share something that I've never shared before. So, um, again, as I said, I watch people. My mother um, was just an absolutely beautiful woman. She was a graceful woman. She was all of those things. I looked at my mother. I watched the way she applied her makeup, how she put her clothes on, how she selected her jewelry. I watched everything. And then when I went out as I'm driving or as I was walking, as I was engaging with people, I watched how people said things because I wanted to be looked at the same way I felt that my mother was looked at with that just, you know, appreciation for who and what she was. And so I watched the way people walked. I watched them uh, move. I watched the way women's hips moved so that the skirt was swayed just right so that it would capture the attention of the man. Absolutely. Um, so I, I learned from people, just everyday people, not just the authors of our lives, not just the celebrities of our lives, but everyday people. They intrigue me. In addition to that, I have lots of, um, of friends that um, I think continue to pour into me. Um, Sharon Davis is such a sweet and endearing person. I had an opportunity to see this missionary, this woman of God uh, on Friday, and I wanted to just have her all to myself, but there were so many other people surrounding her, and I'm like, no, I want Sharon because she just smiles or she says my name or she relates something from the Bible, and it just, it, I, I love Sharon Davis. I just love her. Um, my best friend is probably one of the wisest women I have ever known in my life. She is a humble woman filled with so much. She, again, she gives, she is the most giving person. I think from her, I learned how to give. Um, my, my parents were givers, but my best friend taught me have more than what people need. So that's not just something physical. That's a response. That's a reaction. That's an action. Have more than what people need. Um, so I learn from, from people. I know that's probably not what folk want to hear. You want to you hear what I'm reading, right? <laughs> you want to hear what I'm listening to. But I learn from people. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. You know, uh, those are the things that people need to know, right? Like um, expanding that horizon. Who do we learn from? Thank you so much. So a follow-up question for that one is then, um, besides this, who are your biggest influences? Yeah. Um, 
I think uh, what happens to us uh, as we get older is we uh, engage in lots of reflection, right? And um, I hope I get a chance to talk about reflection. And so in that reflection, we start thinking, wow, what, what, what's happened? Like, how am I the way I am or why am I the way that I am? And so I go back and I go right back to my mother and my father. My father, uh, and this is, and, and so again, in reflection, I wish that I had an opportunity right now to still ask him. My mom and dad have both gone on to glory, but I wish that I could ask them just to write it down again. And I probably have it written on some scrap of paper and it's okay, I'll find it in my retirement, I'll find it. (laughs) But um, I don't believe that my dad finished eighth grade. Um, And so one of the things that he said to me, uh, one day we were riding, I was driving him to breakfast probably, He said, I wish that I'd had more education. I said, well, Poppy, you're such a smart man. You know so much. And he said, but I wish I had more education, right? Um, My mother, who finished her bachelor's degree at 45, who said to us constantly, get as much education as you can. They can never take that away from you. Just inspiring. I anchor that. I anchor my life in those little small nuggets that they shared with me. My dad, with his less than um, eighth grade uh, graduation, with his less than eighth grade level of education, said to me, just because it needs to be said doesn't mean it needs to be said by you. I said, wait a minute, Poppy, wait a minute. Like, you've got to share things with people. You know, you want people to know who you are. You want people to know what you're thinking. He said, you don't need to let them know everything. And I said, okay. Now that's wisdom. So I got that wisdom from from my dad and, and from my mom. My mom, who, you know, could talk to anybody, who would make friends with people that she didn't know, who would, you know, give advice to people, you know, somebody who might have asked her for direction, she'd say, oh, and what, what school did you graduate from? Where, where are you in college, young man? First of all, pull up your pants, but where, where, where are you in school? And if they accidentally said, you know, they weren't in school, uh, shame on them, because then she gave them information to get enrolled in school which is beautiful. And so lots of people who knew my mom uh, respond just that same way. Your mother talked about education. She talked about education and they're absolutely correct. I have some students who are resilient, who um, continue to inspire me. Students who have lived through lots of adversities that I cannot even imagine. People who, and, and their parents, their moms, their dads, who have pressed and, and, and persevered in spite of and because of, in spite of their situations and because of their situations, they've pressed. And now on the other side, they see the triumph. They see the success. So there are so many, Ephraim, there are so many. You know, there, thank there you. As you speak those words, uh, uh, if I had something to measure how my emotions are increasing, it would just top it. Because yeah. I love the way you are describing. Uh, uh, You're so blessed to have those, to have had those parents with you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Cheryl, this is a, a podcast of 
uh, wisdom and productivity. So as you know, being successful at anything that you do uh, means that uh, you probably stay on top of your things. Uh, so how that productivity or system or how do you get organized yourself? What should we know? So listen, again, as I have lived, I have learned. So I wish I knew this stuff years and years and years ago, but it's taken me that long to figure out how they fit into my life and how they can help other people. And so I'm going to take you back to fourth grade, Mrs. McKenzie's classroom. Everybody loved Mrs. McKenzie, everybody. She was the coolest teacher. She was absolutely awesome. Mrs. McKenzie sat at her desk and she didn't get up. And she ruled the classroom. She taught us so much, but she did it from her seat. So I went to a little small private parochial school. When we came in, we had to turn in our homework. We stood up in rows and Mrs. McKenzie would point her finger and point to your row and you would stand up and you would walk and put your homework in the basket and return to your seat and sit down. No problem, we did this every day. One day in particular, a classmate um, did a slow little stroll up to the desk and he took his paper and threw it in her basket. And she said, wait, 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 wait. She took her ruler and she picked it up and said, this is what you're turning in. And he said, yeah. She said, this with the grease stains and the erasures on it? And he said, yeah, take it or leave it. <laughs> what? We were like, oh my God, he's going to die. She said, take it or leave it? He said, yeah. And he just walked on back to his desk. She got up. She walked out of the classroom, came back, sat down, and we continued to pass our papers well, I will tell you that his mother came and took care of that. Never again did we ever hear him say anything like that. Never again did anything like that happen. But here's, here's the moral of that. And here's what I'm getting to. This young man was brilliant. He was so smart. Even then, like I remember the kids who were smartest in our classroom. He was up there. He was probably the smartest boy in our classroom. She knew that he could do better. And when she looked at that paper, in her mind was thinking, this, this is your best? And there lies the first question for reflection, for improvement that I embrace. Is this your best? No matter what it is you're doing, no matter if it's in your personal life or, it's in, or, or if it's in your professional life, is this your best? If you can say, yes, this is my best, then you've got nothing else to do. That means you're, you're perfect. You're right there. But nine times out of 10, your answer is no, this is not my best. Which brings me to the second story and the second question. Let's fast forward and take me to high school. I am in geometry and I don't know what the heck is going on. I'm like, what do you mean acute angle? What do you mean um, and I, I, an obtuse angle? Like what? The only angle I knew was a right angle. <laughs> it was perfect, right? And so um, I, I struggled. Brenda and I would talk 
on the phone every night and we would do our geometry homework together because Brenda understood it and I didn't. And so we talked and would compare notes and I'd say, well, Brenda, why isn't it this? And she'd say, well, tell me why you think it isn't this. And so she was coaching me even then and uh, got to class. The teacher would walk through the aisles and he would say, young man, that's sloppy. Do it again. Or that's ridiculous. How did you get that answer? And I was just waiting. I Butterflies in my tummy, waiting for him to say something about my work. And he looked down at the paper. He looked back up at me, looked back down at the paper, looked back up at me and tapped the desk and kept going. I'm like, got it right. (laughs) So my second question is, can you do better? And the answer to can you do better must always be yes, because we are not perfect beings and because we should never be satisfied with where we've landed. And so because can I do better was on my mind, I took that into college as well. Which brings me to my third question college and also um, a movie. So the can you do better is in my head. I get to college and I take a logic course. I love logic. Things that make sense to me make sense. (laughs) I love that. So I love having the foundations for a great argument and if then clause. So it was propositional calculus. Professor Reed was my professor. He did the standard, you know, look around you. The room was filled. Look around you. Half of these people won't be here by midterm. And you heard the grumbling of the students. Well, it's not going to be me. I'll be here. I don't know what he's talking about. I'll be here. And, you know, we're pointing at each other. You're going to be here? I'm going to be here. We're doing that kind of thing. He said, and by the end of the class, I'll be able to count you on one hand. So now I'm challenged. Well... He was right. By midterm, half of the people were gone. I had a C, which devastated me. I was at home in my room crying because I didn't understand propositional calculus and it was taking me too long to figure it out. And I was crying, Ephraim. I'm not kidding. My mother said, get yourself together. She closed my bedroom door and said, you will figure it out. And I'm telling you, it was, that is the, this is going to sound bad again. That is the only class I have ever worked hard to earn an A in. I had a C at midterm. At the end of class, it was me, Arturo Torres, and, uh, um, oh my goodness, she would kill me. Oh my goodness, what is her name? Andra McGee, I apologize. Me, Arturo Torres, and Andra McGee. Andra and I earned A's. Arturo had a B. Now listen. The third question is, what are you prepared to do? And what are you prepared to do for us? We talked to each other on the phone every night. We got together at the Burger King on 87th, where Southwest High, um, excuse me, where South Chicago Avenue, 87th Street, and almost Yates met up. That's where we met. We stayed at Olive Harvey College. This was at Olive Harvey College. Yes. yes. My most difficult class at a junior college, one of the city colleges of Chicago. 
and we studied and we asked each other questions and we quizzed each other. And when we thought we wanted to give up, we wouldn't let each other give up. There were three of us at the end of that class, us three. The movie that I watched that really drove that point home was The Untouchables. Now, that movie is old. It's old. But I tell you, I watch it often. There's a point where um, Elliot Ness wants to get Al Capone. And he asks um, Officer Jimmy Malone, what do I need to do? And uh, he, Jimmy Malone says, what are you prepared to do? And Elliot Ness says, I'm prepared to do everything within the letter of the law. And he said, well, then you won't get him. <laughs> so his question was, what are you prepared to do, right? So on his deathbed, when Elliot Ness and the Untouchables are on top of Al Capone and they're getting him and, you know, they've got the bookkeeper and they're about to, you know, nail the, 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 the nail in the, in the coffin. Frank Nitty comes to Officer Jimmy Malone's apartment on Racine, as, um, as uh, Andy Garcia pronounces it, and shoots him up. I mean, pulverizes him. Malone crawls back to the living room and he grabs some information that he knows Elliot Ness is going to need because he just knows Elliot Ness is going to come there. And Elliot Ness does come. And his dying words to Elliot Ness are, what are you prepared to do? On his dying bed, and Elliot Ness knows what he has to do. He's got to do whatever it takes. He has his own private little Malcolm X moment, whatever it takes. And that's what happened. So my three questions, is this your best? Is whatever you're doing, is it your best? That second question, can you do better? And the third question, what are you prepared to do? That's the money question. That's the put your words into action. That's forget about the talk. Now it's time to do the walk. That's the putting your money where your mouth is. And so that's it. That's my wisdom. Wow. That's my productivity. From Mrs. McKenzie to, um, you know, my, my um, geometry teacher to my professor to uh, the Untouchables movie. Yeah. Wow. What a gift that you shared that with us. I, I mean, here or like, like, my, whew. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and those questions yeah. are going to go with me for the rest of my life. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm going to yeah. ask a follow-up question in terms of of your productivity. So you have shared that you have been writing. Uh, you're going to publish a book soon. So for yeah. the aspiring writers such as me, uh, tell us about your, your habits or practice. So what should people know on how to... Get yourself organized to, to, to write sub, something of substance. Perfect. Thank you for that question. Um, first of all, um, again, that procrastination, stop it. Granting yourself grace, please. But get yourself into a writing routine. Write in the morning. If, this is, if you wake up and you've got some time in your day, After you do your meditation, engage in whatever other rituals you engage in, that time to write. If you write for 15 minutes, 15 minutes a day, that's it. 15 minutes, that's all you need. 
you're going to make a significant dent in whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. That's the first thing. The second thing is you have everything in you right now to write that book, to finish that book that you've been wanting to write. So I'll give you a couple of examples. The book that I have coming out in August is about my mom. My mom passed from Alzheimer's. It is part memoir. It's part informational. It's how my sisters and I took care of my mother during that bout with Alzheimer's. Um, releasing her is my tribute to my mom. It is my gift to other people. And uh, I hope that it is received in definitely the way that I have written it. But I didn't start writing that book when my mom passed. I've been writing that book all my life. I've taken notes. I've watched again. I paid attention. I listened to the stories that she and my dad would tell. My grandmother, my father's mother, said to me, your father stole your mother from Mr. George's house, which was my, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. And I said, really? Say some more about that duck. And so she told me, and I included that in the book. So you've experienced everything right now for the book that you want to write. You have it in you. You've been harboring those thoughts. You've been collecting those memories. You've got it in you. 15 minutes, 15 minutes a day, every day, not Monday through Friday, not only on the weekends, every day. If, if it could be 15 minutes in the morning, it could be 15 minutes in the evening. Whenever you feel that you're most productive, 15 minutes. Thank Don't you. try to make it perfect. Have lots of drafts. So I am a physical writer and I'm looking around so I can show you. I write on everything. I write on everything. I have lots of notes in my office here. My journals are filled. I can show you right next to me the journals that I have filled that I go back to and keep looking through because I have filled them with words. So I'm just suggesting that you get into that habit, that you pick up a pen and get some paper and write it out. When we type it out, we really want it to be perfect. We think when we type it, it's got to be perfect. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I, I don't think so. So forget about the procrastination. Pull a Nike, just do it. Grant yourself some grace. Allocate those 15 minutes a day. It can stretch into more, but 15 minutes minimum. Know that everything you need to write that book is already in you. And get into the physical habit of, of writing. Pen and paper. Go ahead and jot it down. Thank That's you. it. Yeah, thank you. It's like you're giving us permission because we have all this thing, you know, and sometimes we wait for that permission. Thank you. This has been such a great conversation, Cheryl. And uh, before we leave, anything else you would like to share with the listeners of the show? You know what? This is such an awesome opportunity, Ephraim. I cannot believe it. Um, who would know that at the time we met, both of us principals, both of us, you know, wide-eyed, really wanting to give back and support and to help, um, that we would end up right here where we are. You are Dr. Ephraim. 
This is wonderful. I'm Dr. Cheryl. Neither of us were at that point when we met. And so it's such a beautiful thing to see how silently and openly we can encourage each other. We can support each other and celebrate each other as we accomplish what we've set out to accomplish. May is Finding Kind Month. It's Kind Month. I celebrated Finding Kind with my students when I was a principal. I posted on Facebook just recently that we should do something kind. Pastor James Ford said, do something for someone who can't tell you thank you. So for every person who watches this video as I upload it, who listens to the podcast as you share it, we won't be able to hear their thank yous for this. So this is a kind act that we're engaged in. And I thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to share with others who can't necessarily tell me thank you. What a great honor it has been for me. And yes, I agree with you sharing all this it's like a labor of love, right? So others can get inspired like you have always inspired me. Uh, thank you for being here, Dr. Watkins. This has yes. been the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez, Wisdom and Productivity, Peace and Calm.